We come now to our highlight of our time together, which is God's Word read and preached to us. So before Roger comes to speak, I'm going to be reading tonight's passage, which is Jonah 1, 17 to 2, 10, which you'll find on page 774 of the Church Bibles. Or if you need a large print Bible like me, 983. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Shoal I cried. And you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Thank you, Derek, very much for reading, and thank you all for joining us. Um, I'm making a plea each time I preach on Jonah that people come for all four weeks of Jonah. Or if you can't do that, at least the fourth one, because that's where the real punch of the book comes. So if you weren't here last week, you can catch up that sermon. Um, But please be here week four um, of Jonah, because it's a story that builds and builds. Um, My name's Roger Day. I'm the assistant minister here. Um, And it's good to see you, especially if this is a first uh, dip uh, in the waters of Chalmers Church, as it were. I shouldn't be talking about waters with Jonah. Sorry, not deliberate. Um, You're very welcome. That's the point. We've prayed, so we're going to dive straight into Jonah. You'll see on the back of the service sheet, there's an outline of where we're going. And you'll see at the top of it, I actually want to start, before we get back to the specific story of Jonah, I want to start with something a bit more general. And we left Jonah last week on a cliffhanger, chapter 1, verse 16. He'd been thrown into the water because the the storm would not stop around this boat, and the sailors eventually threw him into the water. And um, we leave on a bit of a cliffhanger. I guess they... They see him splash, they probably see some bubbles, the bits of oxygen that come to the surface, and then the sea goes calm, cliffhanger. But we're going to leave that hanging for a moment. If you know the story, it wouldn't be a cliffhanger anyway, but um, we're going to leave that because I want to step back and say, what are the reasons to take God seriously? The real God, the God of the Bible, what are the reasons to take the God of the Bible seriously? This is a series about coming to terms with who God actually is. 
And there are lots of reasons. I haven't got time to list them. There are lots of reasons, but I think they kind of fall into two big categories. One category is a kind of you-can't-ignore-this-God kind of category. Why take God seriously? Well, because he's actually there. He's a God who can't be avoided because he's the creator, the creator of the whole universe. He's too big to be ignored. And eventually there will come a a point for everyone that we come face-to-face with him in the end. The kind of you-can't-avoid-him category of reason to take him seriously. And actually last week, was a passage about that kind of reason. Last week we saw that he's the creator, the God of heaven, verse 9, chapter 1, verse 9, the God of heaven who made the seas and the dry land, the creator of everything and everyone in it. You can't ignore him. That's one kind of reason. That was last week. And we saw with Jonah that he was kind of coming to terms with that. So he... he, um, He didn't like the job God gave him. He tried to run away, fingers in the ears. And pretty soon the wind was against him, the waves were against him, and he's dumped off the boat. We saw last week one real creator God who's unstoppably powerful, which just means ultimately he can't be ignored. That's one kind of reason. Actually, the second kind of reason to give God the time of day is that he's wonderful. It's just wonderful. It's not actually just that you can't ignore God forever. It's that you wouldn't want to. He's a wonderful God. He he offers fantastic blessings for people who trust him. And if you're a Christian here, I hope both those categories resonate with you. How can we have confidence to speak about Jesus around Edinburgh? Why would we want to? Oh yeah, partly because he can't be ignored, but but actually partly because he's just wonderful. Jesus' character is just glorious. And he freely offers gracious blessing. And today's passage, chapter 2, is much more in that category. Last week, you can't ignore him. This week, you wouldn't want to. And why wouldn't you want to? Well, here's our first point. The real God, that is the God of the Bible, can and does save. He's a God who saves. Our entire reading was about that, and we left Jonah chapter 1 verse 16 on this cliffhanger. He'd been chucked into the sea, the sea had gone quiet, the bubbles had stopped, and then immediately, verse 17, a rescue. Verse 17, a kind of aquatic rescue. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, getting swallowed alive may not sound that great to us, but actually, compared to drowning, it is an upgrade. So this is a rescue story, that verse 17. God sends the fish as a kind of agent of salvation. It's a divine submarine lifeboat and scoops Jonah out of the water before it's too late. Because remember from last week, if you were here, the sailors, professional sailors, they were sure that throwing Jonah overboard meant he was going to die. Verse 14, 
just look at, in chapter 1. Just have a look at it. We're on page 774 if you've closed your Bibles. Um, chapter 1, verse 14, they cry out to the Lord and say, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. They're absolutely sure you are not going to survive being thrown over the, overboard at this point in the map, in the seas, in this kind of storm. I don't know if many of you have spent much time sailing or out on the water. Um, I've only done it once in a very small boat. Uh, Jesse, my wife and I, uh, in a kind of former time, we had lots of energy and bravery. We once went um, canoeing on the sea, which turned out to be actually quite a scary thing to do. We'd done it on rivers and thought this would just be kind of the same. The sea seemed quite calm. And uh, when we got out there and discovered there were jellyfish in the Mediterranean, um, we, we actually got really worried that moment of if we do topple over what's going to happen now in reality what would have happened is one of the passing pleasure boats that was causing all the rocking would have probably picked us up and helped us but the sailors know and they're professionals that throwing Jonah overboard where they are with the kind of storm they're in is certain death so they'd be shocked that by the end of our reading chapter 2 verse 10 Jonah's back on dry land. Extraordinary. The very dry land they tried to row back to when the storm was raging in 113. But God is a God who can save. The real God can save. And salvation is definitely how Jonah describes his kind of near fish experience. Look at the bulk of the passage. It's basically a prayer. Chapter 2, verses 2 to nine. It's all a prayer, a prayer of thanks. It's a celebration or a prayer of thanks of God's rescue. And as Derek said, the conclusion, verse nine, is this. I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The Lord in capital letters, remember that's God's kind of personal name, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the God of the covenants from Exodus onwards. It's, it's this Lord is a saviour. This God, the God of the Bible, the real creator of chapter one, is a saviour. He can and does save. And actually, if, if we can jettison the kind of children's book expectations that many of us have about the story of Jonah, if we can put that to one side for a moment... It's actually remarkable that, Jonah, that God saved Jonah. I mean, we're, I know we're all expecting the whale to turn up at some point, although it may not be a whale, but we're all expecting it. But actually, we shouldn't have expected it. Just think about it. He's a disobedient prophet. He refuses the Nineveh job. He rebels against his maker and his boss as a prophet. And worst of all, he endangers the lives of the sailors when he chooses their boat to go on. Actually, by the ethics of the Bible, he deserves death. Pure justice would have made Jonah a one-chapter book. Let me tell you the story, it could go, of the stupid prophet. The prophet who seemed to think that his will was stronger than God's will. He thought he could run away by boat from the God who made the seas. Well, needless to say, his escape failed. 
He was brought to justice. God, the giver of life, took his life. Jonah was made into an object lesson for all to follow. God found a different prophet, one who'd listen, to speak for him. The end. You don't mess with God, story done, justice. But of course, Jonah is not a one-chapter book. Just like the Bible is not a three-chapter book. For the first moment in the Bible when when um, humanity rebel against God, the way Jonah rebels against God in this story, well, it comes three chapters in, as early as that. An extraordinary. God doesn't say, okay, enough's enough. I'm God, you're not. How dare you pretend to be? It's over. The giver of life takes life away. Actually, the story doesn't stop. The only reason Jonah, the book, gets chapter 2, the only reason the Bible gets past Genesis 3, the only reason Edinburgh gets a 21st century is because God is gracious. A God who can and does save. A God who's a rescuer. It's really remarkable, actually. Um, Just cast your eyes through Jonah's prayer again. There's no record of him saying sorry. Do you notice that? He doesn't say sorry. There's no suggestion he did anything to kind of deserve a second chance. He cries out for help, and he finds that the real God is gracious, able and willing to save him. It's a wonderful quality of the real God. He's not just pure power. He's not just the undisputed sovereign of chapter one, the creator of all things, the king. He's not just the God you can't avoid. He's the God you wouldn't want to avoid. The God of sheer grace, a rescuer, a saviour, someone who's willing to step in and save when we're in trouble. The God you can trust in. To which I, I guess we might say, well, okay, I can see he saved Jonah by the fish, but surely God doesn't offer that service to everyone, does he? I mean, you're not saying if something goes on my kind of cruise this summer or, um, or if, I, if Jesse or me had toppled the canoe into the Mediterranean, are we just going to pray and God rustles up a fish for everyone? No, this is a miraculous one-off intervention. This is not kind of causing us to expect that exactly this is going to happen every time. But remember verse 9, Jonah does draw a general conclusion. Look at verse 9 again, um, voice of thanksgiving. And the end of verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord, to Yahweh. That's the general principle we're supposed to learn from Jonah's specific experience. The real God can and does save. But to work out how we can draw a lesson for all of us from Jonah, we need to look a bit more closely about what his situation was and what it is he's praying thank you for. So, chapter 2, verse 1, he's praying from inside the fish. Jonah prayed to the Lord from the belly of the fish. And it's clear that the prayer is looking back to when he was thrown overboard. 
that make sense? Verse 3, for example, um, you cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah's thinking back to the danger he was in. And it's interesting because his prayer doesn't really focus on the rescue, the, the kind of amazing miracle of the fish. Remember I said that the fish only gets a couple of verses in Jonah. He doesn't focus on the fish. He focuses on how bad the danger he was in was. And so we're going to trace through the imagery of this prayer. And we're going to see Jonah sinking lower and lower and lower. Just follow it through with me. And then I'll tell you why it's relevant. Follow through with me. Chapter, uh, verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3. I guess this is the moment he's thrown overboard. He hits the water and he feels the flood surrounding me. He's kind of bobbing on the surface. I guess he's rising and falling with the massive swell of the storm. But pretty soon those waves surging across. Uh, he's struggling to keep his head above the waters. So verse 3, end of, all your waves and your billows pass over me. Now, I don't know if you've ever got close to drowning. The closest I've got, I think, just trying to work it out, I think it's only enjoying a wave machine when I was a child, a, a, a kind of fun park thing, and this isn't very close at all, but um, there was a, a time, I, wasn't, I was very short at the time, and I kind of jumped to try and enjoy the wave machine, totally mistimed my jump, and ended up with a kind of mouthful of water, disorientated, kind of gasping for oxygen. I didn't have the strength in my legs to kind of get back up to the surface of, 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 of the pool. Um, but actually, that's a ridiculous example, isn't it? I mean, that's nothing, nothing like what Jonah was going through. Because the wave machine was going to be turned off. Only kind of five minutes of fun, um, and then back to normal. The pool, only a couple of meters deep. There was a lifeguard, um, specifically there so that children don't drown. My, my feet would have hit the bottom. But if you have ever been caught up in serious waves, if you've ever been sinking in water that's, that's so deep you start to not be able to tell which way's up, that's a really terrifying thing. And so in verse 5, when Jonah's head, I think, drops below the water, the water's closed in over me to take my life. By that point, he's surrounded by water. There's no hope of air. I guess the light from the surface is beginning to fade. The, the churning blue turns to a kind of murky green, turns to a thick, still black. As he puts it, the deep surrounded me. He's getting increasingly disoriented, desperate. He's falling and falling and falling. And, and suddenly he feels something touching him. It can't be rope. He's out of reach. Weeds, he says, were wrapped around my head. His lungs are bursting, his heart's panicking. I guess he's got a last gasp of energy with which he tries to kick his legs, but still think, sinking because pretty soon he hits the bottom, verse 6, at the roots of the mountains. And it turns out that the bottom of the ocean is silty sinking. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. It gives away. Hope is gone. He, he's sinking. He's drowning. Hopelessly drowning. And, and you don't need 
waterboarding to imagine how horrible that experience is. I mean, it is, it's not just dying, it's dying in the, in the most horrible way, the most desperate way. That imagery is charting the descent down and down and down into ever, ever deeper hopelessness. Vivid slow motion detail. Which is to say, chapter 2 is not just, not just saying that God can and does save, but that God can save even from death. The real God can and does save even from death itself, from the deepest, darkest hole. That's the point of the imagery. As we watch Jonah sink into the depths, I think we're supposed to be thinking you don't come back from that. That's what the sailors thought and prayed. They prayed that God wouldn't hold them guilty for murder because they thought he's as good as dead. Jonah himself said he was as good as dead. Just look at verse 2, the the start of it again. Um, I called out to the Lord, out of my distress, he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol. That's the name for the kind of place of the dead. Another English translation renders it like this. From the depths of the grave, I called out. So sometimes we think of the Jonah rescue as the moment he's rescued from the fish. Do you know what I mean? In in the storybook, sometimes it's that moment when he's vomited onto the dry land. Like, that's the big rescue. That's not how Jonah puts it at all. He doesn't really talk about the fish. The rescue is, I was right down the bottom and you came and found me. I was in the belly of the grave. Interesting, there are two, two bellies going on. Did you notice it? 2 verse 1. Jonah prays from the belly of the fish, but it's the belly of Sheol, the belly of the grave he was really worried about. The real God can save even from death itself. So Jonah's experience wasn't actually near fish experience that wasn't the point that wasn't the rescue it's near death experience death is what he's saved from and actually all the way through this this thanksgiving prayer he keeps mentioning it so verse five the waters closed in over me to take my life verse six i went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever yet you brought up my life from the pits verse seven when my life was fainting away from me we're um, painting away, I remembered the Lord. See the point? Again and again and again. God saved him from death. Even death, this God can help with. At which point, again, we might say, well, well, come on, so what? It's great that Jonah had a miraculous escape from drowning No doubt that is a horrible way to die. But actually, Edinburgh is a pretty dry environment, especially at the moment. And to be honest, I've got got bigger things to worry about than kind of, am I going to be safe from death or from drowning? Bigger things on my mind. What about kind of Brexit and the fallout? What about GDPR compliance? What about the mortgage payments? What about struggles with my kids or my spouse or my colleagues or my singleness? What about struggles with finding a job? What about struggles with deciding a future? What about the problems I really need rescue from? The problems of life. 
That's what dominates my worries. If God could just save my career or finances or marriage, well, then I'd be interested, but death can wait. So tonight I want to challenge the idea, if any of us have it, that death is not our biggest problem. I think especially if you're young, you guys, it's easy to think it's not a big deal or it's so far away it's irrelevant. But actually it is a calendar appointment we can't avoid unless Jesus comes back first. And it's so easy to live life totally unprepared for it. You see, for Jonah, it was actually really obvious what he needed. He was sinking. He was struggling to breathe. He was tumbling fast towards the grave, feeling his consciousness slipping away. I mean, he knew that a death rescue was what he needed. Whereas for us, for some, death can come as a complete surprise. Never even considered it. Caught me unawares. is strange when it's the ultimate statistic. Scotland's biggest problem, 10 in 10 Brits die, whichever side of the border you're on. Since records began, that's been the pattern, but it's so easy just to not talk about it, to pour our energy into other things, to just distract ourselves, stay healthy, keep busy, forget it's a problem at all. And if we think like that, well, then the real God can seem like a bit of an irrelevance. Okay, so he might be able to help with death, but If God was handing out free iPads, then I'd be interested. But a solution to death that's equally free, a rescue from the grave, well, I'll leave it a bit. I'll look into it later. It's no surprise, actually, that when churches stop talking about death and judgment which follows death, well, pretty quickly they become irrelevant in society. But death is our real problem. Apple don't have an app for it. No one has. Nothing can save from it. There's, there's no technological marvel. There's no genius financial product. There's no ace legal team. There's no loving social network that can help you in the face of death. It's actually one of the things we can learn from our brothers and sisters within this church family who at the moment are facing death, whether through sickness, serious ill health, or through age. It's actually a blessing to have a family that includes people like that, who can give us the wisdom, the perspective on life, to show us that in the end, they can testify to us that in the end, there's nothing more precious than knowing someone who can bring you through death, a God who can actually rescue, a God who can deliver at that crucial moment. And that's our third and final point, only The real God owns salvation. So the real God can and does save. He can save even from death itself. And only the real God owns salvation. Now, I think that's pretty clear in Jonah's case. Um, You can actually see all the way through chapter 2 that God was in control of the situation. Even before the fish arrived, God was in control. Just... Just look at how Jonah retells it in his prayer. Verse, uh, chapter 2, um, verse 3. Just look at who's doing the action here. Chapter 2, verse 3. For you, says Jonah to God, 
For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. So yeah, it was the sailors who heaved him overboard. But actually, Jonah recognizes God was the one sovereignly in control. You cast me into the deep. Yes, the waves were whipped up by, I don't know what it was, cyclonic winds, low pressure fronts. I'm not a meteorologist, but, but God sent the winds. His winds, his waves and breakers. The real God who made the sea and the land holds the keys of life and death. Only the real God owns salvation. It's obvious from the way that Jonah tells um, uh, the story. It's also obvious when you just think how bad the predicament was. I mean, who could have saved him in verse 6 as he hit the ocean floor? Or verse 7 as his life was ebbing away? I mean, he's, he's sunk far below the reach of kind of RNLI lifeboats or ropes from ships. Far below probably a rescue mission search from divers. Even kind of James Cameron's deep water submarine, it doesn't actually have room for passengers, so that wouldn't have helped. Uh, maybe we think, well, drones, but actually there's been an international search and rescue team trying to find flight MH370 for years. Nobody could help Jonah down there. Visibility was zero. He was sinking into the ocean floor. Only God could save. Only God could appoint one of his great fish to be at just the right place at just the right moment and open his mouth at just the right aperture to get Jonah but not squash Jonah, to swallow him alive. And then, chapter 2, verse 10, to reverse the command so that the, the fish vomits at just the right moment and not to a different place of um, drowning but onto dry land. The real God owns salvation. And that's why verses 8 and 9, Jonah Jonah makes this conclusion, verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's his. In his world, only he can rescue from death. And I want us to remember that that's kind of doubly true for Jonah. So we've already seen it. It's true in terms of who else had the ability to scoop him up, to preserve his life. But actually more than that, who else had the right to rescue Jonah from death? Just think about that. Let me say it again because it's so important. It's not just that the creator, God, has the ability to rescue people from death. Actually, only the creator God has the right. We see that in microcosm with Jonah. I mean, Jonah had rebelled against this God. This God is the wronged party. This was the God that threatened him with death in the first place. You cast me into the waters, into the deep. And as we saw last week, when God's decided to sink your boat, no amount of kind of throwing cargo or rowing hard or praying to other gods will help. With Jonah, only God had the ability and the right, the authority. But I want to say that is actually the true for all of us. I've already said that for all the advances in technology and civilization, uh, no one has managed to beat death. 
or has a shred of hope at achieving it. But actually, it's not just an ability thing. No one has the right to. Because the Bible says, all the way back in Genesis, that death is God's just judgment on us for rebelling against him. He gave us life. We rejected him. He takes life. So while we might not be running quite as obviously as Jonah, actually, nevertheless, in our own way, we've all got the same streak in us. The streak that says, I know better than God. I'll run my life my way. And just because we haven't hit the water yet, well, nevertheless, God did promise, and he doesn't lie, God did promise that death is the just judgment for humanity's rebellion. That's why only he can save us from death. He's the wronged party. He's the just judge. It's why that humanity have been searching for the fountain of eternal youth for millennia and will go on searching. It's why any makeup advert that tells you it's found the way to actually reverse aging is going to disappoint. You can cover it up, but we are dying. It's why this evening's passage is such good news. It's why God's offer to be a saviour from death is so wonderful. No way Jonah deserved a rescue. No way I deserve a rescue. And yet, God steps in to save. And when I say step in to save, obviously I mean that literally. We've been seeing that on Sunday mornings. We've been looking in John's Gospel, how God the Eternal Son stepped into history as Jesus of Nazareth um, so that he could die in our place. Jesus, I guess you know, compares himself to Jonah. Do you know this? Matthew 12, Jesus says, Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah had a near-death experience and then this near-fish experience for three days and three nights before he appeared back on dry land. But of course, Jesus' experience wasn't just near death. It was death. And it was death very deliberately so that Jonah didn't have to die. And you and me, we don't have to die. Not that Christians don't face physical death, but that is not permanent. As Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He will raise us to a new creation. Which does mean, actually, I read through this description from Jonah and think of how Jesus experienced the full-blown version so that, Jesus, so that Jonah could be rescued. Just think about it. Jonah felt his life fainting away. Jesus lost his life completely. Jonah felt the kind of shortness of breath as floods surrounded him. But Jesus, on the cross, was heaving for breath, facing God's just judgment. Jonah got that short taste of murky, murky darkness. Jesus faced fully and finally the darkness of God's anger over the land. Jesus died so that Jonah didn't have to. Jesus died so that I don't have to. You see, God can't break his promise. I said 
a few minutes ago that God made a promise that those who rebel against him will die. And he can't break a promise. Someone has to pay. The punishment for sin is death. It has to be paid. You can't just sweep evil under the carpet and say, actually, it doesn't matter. It doesn't actually matter. There are no standards. Not at all. But Jesus died so that Jonah didn't have to and we didn't have to. We will find ourselves, if we trust in this God, with our feet on solid ground, the other side of death in the new creation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So then, as we close, how should we respond? Well, I think it's a pretty simple question, really. It's a question of, am I trusting this God with my death? If the real God can and does save, even from death itself, but only this God owns salvation, well, am I trusting this God with my death? There are lots of alternative gods to be tempted by, and especially in a city like Edinburgh, there's all sorts of things, aren't there? Money, career, reputation, friendships, that's just four. And actually, to be honest, they're appealing because they do make a big difference to life. It does seem to be that if I give the company the number one spot, the kind of God spot, well, yeah, they may ask me to make sacrifices of time, family, church, ethics maybe even, but they can deliver health plan, pension plan, respect. Money can buy me kind of physical security, house, car, future security, savings, freedom. Or you can pull yourself into developing kind of uh, social security in terms of amazing network of contacts. But here's the thing, when it comes to death, idols have real problems. Because only the real God owns salvation. As the creator, he holds the keys to life and he's not going to be bought or bribed or schmoozed. Death isn't impressed by job titles or bank balances or Facebook friends or connections in high places. They're not going to help put a word in. When it comes to death, only the real God owns salvation. Psalm 49, which I'm preaching on here in August, says this. Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. And then the psalm goes on. But God will ransom my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. So if you're not a Christian here, wonder if you'll spend some time facing that question really squarely. Who or what are you trusting your death to? Or will that question just get squeezed out by the busyness and the entertainment? But for those of us who are Christians, I think Jonah too should be a real, a real cause of thanksgiving. That's where I want to end Tonight, I know it's a sobering passage in lots of ways, but actually I think it's a passage to get us full of thanks. Whatever else is going on in our lives, God has saved us from our biggest problem, death. He's pulled us out of the water. When we put our trust in Jesus Christ, who died the death we deserve, we are guaranteed that though our mortal bodies will fail, nevertheless we will be raised raised to new life, eternal life. Whatever life circumstances are right now, that is a real reason to give thanks. 
Let me give you a trivial example. Yesterday, we had a day where everything goes wrong. Uh, broken laptop, a dead washing machine, and then the flat tire in the car. I mean, it was quite a package in one day. Um, and I was with Grace when the tire was flat. Um, and I actually came to church this morning thinking, I can't wait to tell someone that story, you know, when you want to moan because you've had bad circumstances. Um, and I chatted to two people in the morning, both of whom were going through harder things than that. Things so much harder than that that I didn't even tell them that. So I thought, oof, we're facing something harder. But actually for them and for me, in far more trivial things, we do have reason for thanksgiving. Christians should have a freedom and a confidence and a, a joy that actually can't be shaken by circumstance. Yes, we wobble. Yes, yes, we cry and grieve and there's pain. But actually, amidst the pain, there's real confidence that we know the God who can save, who has saved us from death. I think it's right to actually join Jonah in thanksgiving. In fact, I'm sure it's right because... You may not know this, there isn't time to, to flesh it out in detail, but most of the phrases he uses are nicked from the Psalms. He uses the songbook of Israel, the Psalms, to give thanks. And I think we're supposed to sing along. We're supposed to say, yes, this is our God, the God who can save from death. It's not just Jonah's experience, it's every believer's experience. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are not just infinitely powerful as the creator, but you are hugely merciful, you are gracious, you're compassionate, you're a saviour and a rescuer. And we thank you so much for that because we know we need a rescue. Thank and praise you that you didn't just pull Jonah out of the water but you've pulled each of us who trust Jesus out from the death we deserve and into eternal life with you. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.